I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Welcome to another beautiful Tuesday. If you are in New York City, the rain has finally abated and we got sunshine back. Uh, there's also another episode of Target Starkit. Uh, that's why we're here, actually. Target Starkit, a Gold Muse Award winning weekly broadcast by Broad Digital Consulting. I am Danielle. That's it? That's literally it. You give me shit all the time, and that's it. That's what you wrote for me. <laughs> I thought you, you would scripted. fill in with you, your own. You did not ask me to fill in commentary to introduce myself. What's wow. her name? I'm sorry. You haven't introduced wow. yourself yet. <laughs> wow. Well, it's beautiful in New York, and there's a tropical storm behind me in Ireland. And I'm Alan. Uh what I write. I'm Broad's resident gig economy member. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? Are you are you an Uber driver? Yeah, I'm your Uber driver for Dublin when you come here. But you'll have to pay me as well. I didn't know. No, it just means I'm a contract I'm a contractor right now. Oh, okay. I was like, be. what? <laughs> You're like, what do you mean? I'm a contractor. I'm technically You're a contractor. You are you are 1099 uh while you are in school, right? Because yeah. Alan uh is back in school like all the cool kids. Hell yeah, brother. Getting uh another another degree to line their walls with now that they have like 12 of them. <laughs> right it's it's one master's degree but but you have a master's degree who's bragging too. who's counting <laughs> like and now this is another master's degree so i i'm gonna start introducing myself as master alan yeah project master <laughs> alan uh that's what the n stands for <laughs> yeah that's so good it's like being a guru of something right i i did want to uh appreciate for a moment that you plugged our award that we just won for our podcast that was super exciting i know it's so exciting that we won a little award that means we're good and we're so legitimate that's true. Uh, we won the same award as a podcast that has Ethan Hawke in it. That was pretty exciting. And also the same award as the AARP podcast. So, Which we love an AARP membership over here. A hundred percent. But I'm just saying like, you know, maybe we're in the same category now. Probably. I love the little gay sip of coffee you took after you said that. <laughs> So, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll be sharing more about our award here soon. Uh, but we were so thrilled to have received that, um, and want to thank all of you 
who are listening or viewing at home uh, who helped make it possible. And uh, also, you know, want to make sure that we get all of our gratitude into you before we're famous and forget all about you guys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And also, we would like to hear more gratitude from you guys. Honestly, this is thankless work. I feel like we got a lot of gratitude like right away in the beginning and then later (laughs) it was like no like Alan hasn't gotten very many more DMs yeah about how hot they are so yeah yeah. (laughs) Jordan if you're listening (laughs) you have not not DM'd So this week, uh, we are talking more about, actually, Alan, you chose this topic and uh, talking more about, you know, interesting business and marketing shit uh, straight from the mouths of total babes. Alan not only selected this podcast, but wrote that line for me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was a good one. It was a good one. Uh, We're going to dive into the gig economy a little bit. Think like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Instacart, apparently Owen's contract project master job. Uh, (laughs) All of the major players that have popped up in both the the ride share and the delivery business over the last decade uh, that have also made many of our lives infinitely easier, our pockets infinitely lighter, uh, also our bellies fuller. Thank you so much. DoorDash, we love you. My pockets are definitely lighter. uh, Yeah, thanks to DoorDash. (laughs) Yeah, DoorDash and Uber. I like. I know that it's ridiculous to take an Uber in New York City, where we have the greatest transit system in all of the nation and one of the greatest transit systems in the world, but also they forgot to make trains like in Brooklyn across Brooklyn and so yeah. I end up Ubering a fair amount um and also like I don't even know why I'm trying to make excuses for myself I also Uber where I could probably just take the train but oh, yeah. uh and now they have new robots on the train platform stations that they're introducing what? <laughs> I had to ask Tyler I was like the robots on aren't armed are they because like i'm never riding this way again they're Terrifying. not but they are like giant robots like no. uh they're like as tall as maybe slightly shorter than me do they move around like i think so it reminds me of for those of you who ever watched the show superstore the robot that they had there that like ended up like he was supposed to replace their jobs but it was really just it felt like a glorified vacuum cleaner. Like it looks like a giant, like, I don't know, floor cleaning robot. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. How this this reminds me of the time that I told everyone that there were actual combs in the desert. That's what this feels that, like. That was hysterical. And also like, I remember re- like watching those reels before the episode came out and going, why do you let them record on their own? <laughs> And <laughs> I I don't think I've officially redacted. I my wife did not tell me there were combs in the desert. I <laughs> misunderstood and they combed the desert like people looking for trash. Apparently they have like giant combs. Like and that 
I, I was crying laughing, but also was like, I'm so glad we won an award before this so that <laughs> people aren't like, oh, yeah, this fucking podcast where they just make shit up. But as long as they totally believe it, it works. Hey, it works. Is there an award for that? <laughs> I feel like probably. Probably. Yes. and But it'd be stiff competition, so. That's that's true. That's true. So, uh, yeah, but uh, we're talking about the gig economy this time around. Uh, they These companies have also been historically uh, sort of ethically ambiguous. I was reading... Uh, something in preparation for this that talked about how when Uber and Lyft like first came on the scene, they were promising this like future utopia of like the end of car ownership because Uber and Lyft would take you anywhere you wanted to go. But all it did was actually like make the, the streets just way more congested, like traffic got mm-hmm. way worse. And the only thing that it really actually impacted was public transit ridership, like plummeted. <laughs> so, so, so it did 100% the opposite of what it <laughs> promised to do, which sounds like a tech startup, really. Uh, right. <laughs> they've also been largely unprofitable Again, sounds like a tech startup. It always kills yeah. me that, like, I know empirically I understand that most businesses operate well into the red before they ever get into the black. But it is wild to me just how much of Silicon Valley is just like completely unprofitable. But they employ hundreds of people, thousands. Like how I know when I was doing research for this, I was like, what do you mean Uber's never made any money? What do you mean by that? Like this household name. Right. Well, I mean, and when I say hundreds and or thousands of jobs, I mean like per brand, not like there's only 400 jobs in all of Silicon Valley. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> Yeah. There also are no combs in the desert. I mean, there might be. Somebody might have left their comb in the desert that Someone did not get died. picked up by the combing of the desert, <laughs> which feels a little meta, but not like the Facebook, Instagram kind. Um, <laughs> anyhow, no, I mean, it is wild to me just because, like, how are you able to survive for so long and pay people what you do and continue hiring and continue developing? Meanwhile, like we're over here like scrappy as hell like you can't run out of money or else you don't have a business anymore and like these guys just they just have money is this what it's like to be a man (laughs) right or like i'm like does the more money you have does the less it feels real so the more you're just like like, you know? how do we get in on the imaginary currency side of things? <laughs> like, how do I make enough money that it's imaginary, I guess? Yeah. Like, I understand that there are investors and things like that. I get that. But also, I don't know. Like, a lot of founders, like, they sell their companies for a buttload of money. But, like, 
they also seem to take a lot of that money with them. So I'm like, did you like, what did you pay out to investors? I don't know. The whole thing is very confusing. It feels mm-hmm. like a multi-level marketing scheme yeah. <laughs> like on some level. Uh, but yeah, wholly unprofitable. So it kind of begs the question, like, where is the gig economy heading? How can we make sure their innovation is combined with accountability? But I know that one of the big things that we want to talk about, in addition to like these gig companies, is really talking about where like at least one of them is going in the future. Because I found it really fascinating when you mm-hmm. brought this up. Uh, well, n- no spoilers, but it's Instacart, and yeah, just like <laughs> talk about kind of the the directions that they could go ultimately that end up kind of making them, it feels like everybody wants to be Amazon right now. Mm -hmm. Like they want to do everything. Yeah. Yep. And I kind of thought that monopolies were supposed to be illegal. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) In concept, apparently. Right. Like Like, Google does like everything and like amazon does everything and now elon musk wants to make like twitter do everything and it feels like like it feels like in the future we're only ever going to give money to like 10 companies (laughs) but have you ever seen that chart i think it's more has to do with like food but it's like a chart that like breaks down everything and then you look and you see like all the food you're eating is coming from like five major companies mm-hmm. like so monopolies shouldn't exist in theory but in it theory. seems like they get around it yeah like all of the consumer packaged goods especially in like the personal services like consumer packaged goods uh world is like all unilever mm-hmm. like all of it like globally almost and yeah. so yeah, I I think that we are we are rapidly approaching a time where that's going to end up being the case for just about everything we do, which is why it's important to shop local, um, and also uh, shop startup and small until they get big. Anyhow, <laughs> shop us even shop us. when we're small and big. <laughs> when we're when we're small. And then when we start to get into everything and we start selling soap, maybe. Yeah, or umbrellas. Take on Unilever. Uh, So (laughs) tell us, because I know that you did some research on this, why do so many gig economy companies have these like significant losses? Like there's no profits. Yeah. And I think too, like the no profit thing is even more astounding when you think of how it's the gig economy is one of the fastest, still one of the fastest growing industries in the world. Like, and it's made big contributions to economic growth, um, created jobs for millions of people, like you said, who otherwise wouldn't have had them. But it's, it's kind of like, their business models are still too young. Like they haven't been proven yet. Um, And they were more focused on like building market shares than making profits or like growing for a really long time. Sure. I think we ran into, I remember seeing this a lot with Uber at one point and Lyft, the regulations shifting 
quite frequently with, um, you know, like the regulatory environment being quite uncertain and shifting. And I can imagine funding having to go there and having to pivot quite a bit. And, you know, the high demands for growth comes at a cost. We know this at Broad Digital Consulting. Like you, it's almost like you have to grow, but you need the money to grow. Like you have to hire, but you need the money to hire the person, but you can't get the client unless you have that person you've hired, that sort of thing. Um, So I think... I think that's what you're seeing a lot of, or at least in my research, that's what I saw a lot of. And like the burning question is how do you go from this growth mentality to profitability mentality? Like how? I know I have some opinions on the gay economy. I definitely thought you said gay economy and I was like, do tell. (laughs) I love the gay economy, first of all. (laughs) But on the gig economy, like uh, just like how millennials by force basically shifted a lot of the workforce towards this kind of freelance contractor um, consultant style work. That's where I have a lot of opinions. Anyways, I'd love to hear your experience and thoughts on the gig economy. But first, hmm. can we play Mary Fuck Kill, DoorDash, <laughs> Uber, <laughs> and Instacart? Go. Uh, Mary Fuck Kill. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm killing DoorDash. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> because... Because Uber does human delivery and food delivery, my guy. So, you know, I feel like I'm, uh, no, I'm, I'm killing DoorDash. I'm fucking Uber and I'm marrying Instacart Mm -hmm. because I would love to never set foot inside a grocery store ever again and i still go to restaurants and also take the subway and we have a car so what about you yeah like i'm really mad at you because that i that was gonna be my answer because like i would rather like go outside in this tropical storm and stand there for like 10 minutes than go to a grocery store like at any point in time I was going to say, like, as as we're, like, looking through these points, I was like, man, I really sound like I have, like, a serious disdain for grocery stores, like, they killed my dad or something. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it's really more that, like, I'm a recluse and I don't leave my house often. And when I do, I don't love fluorescent lights or lots of people or standing in line or germs or too many options. Yeah. It's sensory (laughs) overload. I also have a sad reason why I don't like grocery stores, but I'm not going to bring us down, but I don't want to go in a grocery store essentially, but an Uber just seems more fuckable. Like, And I can't tell you why. <laughs> Maybe it's I mean, like, like the black it. branding. Like, you know, like it's all black and sleek and like you can get like an Uber X. Like, like Uber's ooh. hot. Yeah. <laughs> sleek and new. Like, I know. Yeah, I maybe. Like I can kill DoorDash because I 
we gave it a shout out earlier because that's I fair. Use it. Yeah. I, I mean, I use it a fair amount, but I also, I feel like I get better discounts, coupons and things like that on Uber Eats. But like also Uber does grocery delivery too now, but I do think that the interface and the options are both uh, smoother and more comprehensive on Instacart just because like it was designed with that specific delivery style in mind. Yeah. I did not know they did groceries. I mean, is that a Man. form of them trying to expand to make more money? They're like, okay, well, we'll do well, Instacart too. they've been doing it forever. DoorDash oh, does groceries too. Oh. Well. Wow. For somebody who likes to brand themselves as a person <laughs> who does a lot of food delivery, it seems that you don't know what you should about I'm these people. I'm so sorry. These brands <laughs> that you're trying to bed, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry that my loyalty is so strong because I've been an Instacart customer from the beginning and Same. I... Do not stray. And if they had a rewards program, they could get a lot out of me. But they don't. And they still get a lot out of me. So I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> I think to go back to your point about like how millennials sort of like forced people towards this sort of like freelance consultant style work. Like, look, I am not ever going to be the person who shits on 1099 work as a viable option because I personally found more freedom. I found that I had, um, you know, with more freedom, obviously like fewer constraints on my time, on my location and on my paycheck. You know, when I was working at um, a vendor as a full-time person, I might make, uh, you know, $75,000, a year. And I could make three times that as a consultant, because when you work for one company, you have a lot of like bureaucracy and red tape to deal with. And when it's just you and you're the one consultant, like you can take on more clients, you can do what you want with your time. Things are more efficient because you're the only one doing them, which means that you can take on more clients and make more money. So, and I, I am routinely the fucking like patron saint of start your own business. I don't tell people to start your own business and grow because this is hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, yeah. like, honestly, if I ever felt like, like if, if all of you left me and I felt like I could learn how to say no, I would go back to, I'm not good at it. And like, I would go back to, to just doing, uh, like just me, myself and I consulting work in a heartbeat. I made way more money doing that than I am right now. Like, especially in this economy, uh, you know, because you get to keep it all yourself. Right. But despite all the freedoms, I also know that not everybody, and by not everybody, I mean probably most people are not built for freelancing. Mm -hmm. And I also know that like for every Uber driver who's given or, you know, a Lyft driver who's given a thousand rides, 
vet and like is like five star making a great deal of money on the app there are probably 400 more who take up rideshare driving as a way to pay the bills or to try and gain a little bit more money and very quickly realize that they almost all of their money goes out the door to things like like vehicle maintenance and gas and uh all the shit that like all of the time that you spend too just like waiting for a ride in a lot of locations uh we landed last week in minot north dakota and i had to text a friend of mine in advance and say like hey does minot have uber like i i haven't been back in a while so i don't remember and he's like yeah but if you're landing at midnight you're not gonna get one mm-hmm. and sure as shit there wasn't one around so it's like how much money can you really make as an Uber driver in Minot, North Dakota, where everybody's got a car and the airport's kind of small and it actually doesn't pay to be working late at night like it might in Denver or Portland or New York City, but then you're competing with all of the other Uber drivers. Oh, yeah. And I think I was with a partner who looked into becoming an Uber driver and your car needs to be a certain year. Like it can't be too old. And they were doing a program. I don't know if they're still doing it, but they were like financing new vehicles through that. And I remember even at the time being like, hmm, this seems (laughs) like you said earlier ethically ambiguous um because what happens if you don't make up make enough money to make up for that car payment they're making you make and you know i think of two like millennials you know i feel like sometimes this came out of desperation because we graduated into a job market where we couldn't get jobs and we were like well we got to work somehow right and i do feel in some ways that was then exploited as in businesses and other people saw an opportunity to be like oh oh yeah 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 that's how you can work because now what we don't have to do health insurance we don't have to worry about your taxes we don't have to worry about Right. Your unions, your whatever, you know what I mean? And so I, I feel proud of millennials in a way because I think it came out, it was innovation due to our generation right. um, in a lot of ways. But I also feel like there's a dark underbelly to it. A hundred percent. I mean, that's like the, what's the, the Uber, it wasn't a documentary. It was like a film based on like, the actual founding of it super pumped i think is what it was i started watching it but i think i fell asleep (laughs) because i don't recall finishing it so So it was really fascinating um no but like as much as i hate tech bro culture i agree like the recession of that time really forced innovation that that is not to say that like i'm so thankful for the recession of Mm -hmm. that time that is not the case at all um, I, it, it all could have been avoided and zero, zero big goose egg, uh, bankers were actually punished for what happened. Um, a great movie to watch on that is the big short, uh, where you see 
sort of the the domino effect of of banks offering these subprime loans, this, these just like garbage loans, everything falling apart, nobody taking any responsibility. Uh, the only people who really suffered um, were the people who had the loans, but not the people who misled them or, or straight up duped them. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really the the precursor to all of this, you know, quote unquote innovation that we see now, which like, great, okay, fine, like not a problem. But also, I think that the 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 piece that is that is most frustrating is that I think I would like to believe that a lot of this innovation came out of a real genuine need that was identified. Like you said, like we need to have jobs. We need to make sure this doesn't happen again. This is an opportunity to give people jobs even when things get hard, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe it did, but it definitely, as you said, like took a turn. And I feel like now, you know, we're seeing, I hope that we're seeing that like while this is not a uh, a race or gender oriented thing, this is though why you need to invest. Why why VC companies and private equity companies need to invest in underrepresented groups because the way that we think about unintended consequences as a result of our lived experiences is simply different. Mm-hmm. It is also the argument about, you know, social media platforms and the fact that like every single one of the social media platforms that, you know, is is most commonly used or was most commonly used when they were all growing up. So your Facebooks, your Twitters, your Instagrams, et cetera, they were all started by white guys or by tech bros who were very insulated and they did not anticipate the hate speech factor or the mm-hmm. threat and harassment and stalking and doxing factor. Whereas because of our lived experiences, people from underrepresented categories can can think down the road in terms of how it will impact users. Um, I say all that to say that, like, can this be improved? I think so. Will it? I don't know. Hopefully, based on like the current economic climate, though, we are seeing that it pays to invest in models that are conceived of by underrepresented groups. Is Revel an example of that? Yeah, you know, I I know that uh, you wanted me to touch on things like workers' protection and rights within the gig economy. Like I said, for every one that's successful, it really does. Like I I know that I'm saying MLM a lot, and it's it's funny because we are going to be doing an episode on MLMs here coming up soon. I know, so it's like I'm like dropping the Easter eggs, but also it does feel like that. Yeah, uh, to some extent, for every one person who's wildly successful and becomes this ambassador for what can become. 
uh, you have like 400 people that will never get anywhere with it. And that is really true of like the gig economy, especially when it comes to things like rideshare and food delivery. You know, gig workers are in most states contractors, freelancers, because they're 1099, they are not entitled to any kind of benefits, health insurance, etc. So like, yes, you can make money, but in a nation where your health insurance and your quality of, therefore your quality of life is literally linked to full-time employment, it doesn't really help. Plus the, again, the vehicle maintenance, the taxes, et cetera. Like some people might be like the vehicle maintenance is a write-off and like, yeah, it is, but you still have to have money to pay for it. And all it means is that you don't pay taxes on it at the end. So like, cool. It reminds me of that scene in Schitt's Creek where David doesn't know what a write-off is. He's like, you write it off. And they're like, who would write it off, David? And he's like, the government like and like just like does not understand what a write-off is like it's not free money it's just it's it's money you spent that you're not taxed on so that is what you have to do as a 1099 which means that feasibly you have to have some money to pay for this yourself these are startup costs right there is a company Oh, and actually, uh, you also don't get any unemployment benefits. So if you are completely out of a job, if DoorDash folds tomorrow, cool. Sorry. Sorry. Like, that's so sad for you. Uh, You get no unemployment benefits from it. Um, But there is a company that kind of saw this opportunity to improve upon things um, called Revel. We have them here in the city, in New York City, um, all over, you know, Manhattan, Brooklyn. I don't know so much about Queens, um, but they started as mopeds. So cool. instead of the the scooters, like the bird scooters that I totally ate shit on one time and now I'm terrified to go near, they're like the sit down like moped situation. Um, but they also have cars. And I saw them around one day and was like... How do we get a car? I thought this was like a, do you remember Cardigo? Yeah. Yeah. Actually in Ireland, we use a lot, they call it a uh, go car. Is it? It's go car. Go car. Um, okay. Yeah. And it's, you can rent a car essentially by the hour or the half a day. Is that what yeah. yeah yeah like uh like a zip car like i used car to go all the time in denver like if you know like i partied at a friend's house and i needed to stay there and so like i'm not driving denver's public transit system is terrible so can i look mm-hmm. up is there a car to go anywhere or like when we would go to red rocks you know so like we might get a ride up there but then need to get a car to go back or something like that um so i thought that they were more like those where you like book a car and then you go in and drive it but revel because that's what the moped system is like is like you go drive the moped but revel the way that they're structured is actually you still can go drive the mopeds but the car service the rideshare part is actually like just like Uber and Lyft with the exception of all of the rebel drivers are employees. No. Yeah. They are a hundred percent W2 employees. The uh, cars are all electric. They're all electric like Tesla's, I guess. Um, drivers are employees that are paid for the hours that they they drive and not the number of rides they give. So even if you're in a situation where you're not uh, like, it's kind of a dead zone you are still paid for your time 
as opposed to just a percentage of the ride. And they still keep 100% of their tips. So it is still in their best interest to have plenty of rides. They have access to health benefits. They don't pay for their cars or any kind of vehicle maintenance. So like, I know that right now New York City is is pretty pissed at them. I think because they were hoping that the new regulations around Uber and Lyft were going to like decongest the the roads a bit more. Um, and if you are somebody who believes that we should be working towards a carless society, I can understand why you would not be jumping for joy about it. But one, I think it's a vast improvement and it's proof that it works. It's proof of concept, right? Yeah. It's proof that these companies can do this thing. Two, for somebody who has a disability and, you know, can't always walk uh, to and from the subway or, you know, uh, walk to different locations, something like this is a great option for me and for other people like me um, that still need a car, but maybe want to go about it in a more ethical way. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I had not heard of Revel. And I wonder too, like, I would f imagine that it would need to be big enough in any area for it to work and be profitable for them to be there, right? Because if yeah. they're paying drivers by the hour. So I'd be really interested in knowing more and knowing more about their expansion and mm -hmm. where they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, I um I just briefly took a look at like what they offered their employees and things like that. I know I read an article from the points guy that talked about how they were only below 96th Street in Manhattan. But also, I don't know, let me pull it up again. That was a year and a half ago. So I honestly don't know about like their growth. I know that New York is the only place I've ever seen them, but I would imagine, like, I also haven't been back to California in a while. I haven't been to Seattle in a while. Um, so I don't know how many other metros they're in or how many it would actually be fruitful to be in, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could see a place like Minot where, you know, it might be a good idea to have them there, but like, there are people who work shifts and there's only like five of them, right? There's a town yeah. of like 70,000 people, like, so. Right. Yeah, I think too, you know, I don't know what the pay looks like. I, I know, and you had mentioned uh, when we were talking about this, like, especially in cultures where like tipping isn't really a thing, like the pay that you get from being a contractor in those situations is not good. And honestly, even in this culture where tipping is a thing, I have heard from friends who have driven from Lyft and Uber for Lyft and Uber that like, they're like, Oh, you know, I'm so glad that you tip your drivers. Most people don't. Yeah. I've heard that with regard to Instacart, particularly people don't know that they should like everyone is like oh you tip a bartender you tip a server you tip a pizza delivery but for some reason that hasn't always translated to like because if you do you tip cabs you know like i i yeah. don't I, I had never taken a cab before so like i don't know if people tipped cab drivers oh yeah 
They did. Okay. So like, yeah. So like, I don't know where the translation is lost, but I think here in Ireland, this, this is not a tipping culture. Um, and so it does get quite confusing because we're, because it can also be offensive to tip in some places. And so it's like, well, do I throw this person a fiver? There's an option. What are they paying? You know, it, it's messy. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, because I I still remember cabs. Like, I definitely did the the cab of shame a time or two in Denver. Uh, And back, like, well before, you know, Lyft had their funny, fuzzy mustaches on the front of cars. Um, And everybody was very confused about what the fuck was going on. Uh, You always tipped. 20% was standard. So I don't know if it's just like, like, because you're saying like, you've never taken, you've never taken a cab. Like, is it just a new generation of people that didn't know that like have only ever gotten pizza delivery from these apps or only ever gotten rides from these apps that like just thought that that you didn't like I don't know because it's weird to me that people wouldn't um and I know like there's a lot of conversation about whether or not like we've become too tip obsessed and like are we tipping too much and too many people but also like the way I look at it is like the tips are the only thing they get to keep and it's the only thing they they have any kind of control over and not even really control and like it's like they drove the, all this way they sat in traffic they did the part you don't want to do and they're not employees so like you could make a case for like the the maybe the person doing restaurant pickup or something like that like is an actual employee right like right, they like, may have access to benefits and your drivers don't well and like i think there was big controversy and now these gig companies are pushing to tip more they're doing things to encourage tipping more because i can see how what might have happened is uber's charging you fees and you're seeing oh there's a 3.99 delivery fee and in fact, I think I was at one point confused by this because like sure. I would be like, oh, the delivery fee goes to the delivery driver. But no, that's in fact a fee that Uber keeps, you yeah. know, and I think at the beginning of the time of this, that that was a big contentious thing, especially right. with food delivery. Well, and especially because like like delivery fee that Uber keeps or that DoorDash keeps but they also make money on the actual transport of goods on, on like what that costs. Right. Mm-hmm. The, like for restaurants, a lot of times restaurants will like tick up their prices just a little bit on these apps in order to pay for uh, the app and what their cut is. So it's a little bit like the tech companies themselves are kind of dipping everywhere. Yeah. And still not making a profit. And still not making a profit. And still still taking (laughs) things away from the actual contractors that that arguably are the only reason they can continue to exist, right? Like, if you don't have any Uber drivers, 
you can't offer Uber as a service. So I, I'm really interested, especially the, the profitability about the news that you had around Instacart. Yeah, this is what sparked the whole thing is I saw the news that Instacart is going public. And to be quite honest, I'm not businessy enough to know what the fuck that means. But I did click on the article because of I love Instacart. And their new CEO came in in 2021 and has been really thinking about profitability. Essentially, they are leaning hard into becoming an advertising platform that like gigs on the side as a grocery store delivery service or whatever. Like Instacarting is their side hustle, whereas their big bucks come from partnering with stores and products for ad placements. And I mean, I was an Instacart user in the States, obviously. And I remember the first time that I got duped by a little ad because I, <laughs> I they didn't have ads at one point. I remember the shift and I remember being like, I just paid like $3 more for this orange juice. <laughs> but it had a was little orange like, juice better. Fuck yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell the difference in orange juice, man. Oh, Quality difference. Fresh squeezed. <laughs> but like, I was like, oh, they have little sponsored labels now. And so that's that's what they're doing. And um, I'm curious because you are a big mad woman advertising exec. Like, I'm interested in, in whether or not you think that this could be the key to them making a profit. Like lots of people are excited about this and are watching it and being like, yeah, maybe this is it. Sure. First of all, I want to apologize to you because I was muted when you said like Instacarting is their side hustle. And that was like a 10 out of 10 joke. Like that was <laughs> like a really Thank excellent you. call, callback to, to things. That was very Thank good. You. Um, but also to answer your question, like, hell yes. Like, honestly, like I really respect this game. Um, I, w I did some research for it, you know, because I saw that you were going to ask me this question and I was like, yeah, I mean, like, I think it's really cool, but now I'm interested in like, what does this market share look like, right? And Search Engine Land had reported earlier this year that in 2022, ad revenue made up 30% of all Damn. of Instacart's revenue in general. So just to like take this back, like, like zoom out a little bit, I want to outline Instacart's revenue streams just to kind of break down what a business like this looks like, right? So first and foremost, the, uh, the audience is uh, grocery stores and retailers. So every time you or I buy a product from a grocery store off Instacart, only you and I, nobody else. Me and Danielle We're the only, only. ones. We're the only ones <laughs> they're charging. No, uh, every time that anybody buys a, a product from a, a grocery store or a retailer after Instacart, the store pays Instacart like a little fee, just like as a tree, right? Mm -hmm. And the way they do this most often, though, just, you know, so our listeners are aware, is grocery stores will pass the costs off to the consumers. So they'll pass this little fee cost off. So if you ever see, and I'm sure you have seen the prices maybe higher in store or higher than in store or like whatever the message is. What they're really saying is like, this grocery store doesn't want your need for convenience to eat into their profits, you little bitch. So like, get your ass off the couch yeah. or pay us a little right. treat. Right. Like, you know? And so, <laughs> like, but the thing, <laughs> I'll just, 
you know, I've always wanted a space where I could talk about business innovation and use the phrase hop off our dig from a grocery store brand all at the same time. And I'm just glad that I have it. You know, I we did it, Joe. Uh, but the thing about grocery stores ultimately is that like while they are a very wise recession proof client base, they are also ultimately not like I don't know, like they're not small potatoes, like no produce pun intended, but <laughs> but there like is a saturation point, right? Um, and, and not that every industry doesn't have a saturation point, but also it feels like the ceiling is a little bit lower on grocery stores. Like eventually you're in all the grocery stores you'll ever be in. Um, I just looked at, there's only 63,207 stores inside that category in the U.S. I don't know if that's like 63,000 brands or if that's like inclusive of like retail multi-locations, but that 63,000 number is actually a decline from the previous year. So if this was going to be their only revenue model is is having mm. grocery stores and retailers as their clients who are paying them, it's got a boiling point, you know? Like they do also have retailers like Sephora, Best Buy, Bath & Body Works. 7-Eleven was surprising. Uh, I'm yeah. not going to lie, um, but maybe... Um, have used it. Listen... <laughs> When I saw this, I was like, if I know anybody who will have used this for 7-Eleven, I know that it's going to be the person I'm talking to on this podcast who almost named their puppy Baja Blast. So, (laughs) well, listen, it's like, I think what it was is I was sick and the grocery store was closed. So to be fair, I needed some fucking Theraflu, which did not decongest me, as we found out in the news. Another. Oh, sure. Yeah, that you take decongestants orally and it doesn't work, but they've been telling us it will. And we can't even sue them and get all of our money back. Anyway, I got Theraflu from 7-Eleven Instacart. I definitely thought you were going to say, like, I was sick and the grocery store wasn't open. And, you know, sometimes you just need a hot dog on a roller. And (laughs) I love those hot dogs. So do you get those hot dogs? Do you love them too? Do you love the nachos at 7-Eleven? I I do enjoy the nachos. A lot of people don't like, they're like, that's just like silly cheese product sauce. And I'm like, no, that's like the good shit, right? Like (laughs) if something is labeled nacho cheese, it had better be that fucking like volcanic sticky consistency that you know is going to coat the inside of your stomach and not erode for like eight years yeah with like some pickled jalapenos like hundred percent yes oh my god i'm like want it right now and i can't have it because i am so far away from it That's uh, when when you're back. Well, I'll treat you to some Seven Eleven, just like oh, as a little like thanks for your service. <laughs> Who needs a pizza party? Uh, but yeah, like they have these other retailers. But even with these really big brands, they still only have about fourteen hundred retailers as partners. So while they do have a ways to go before their saturation point, there's like still there's like a satch, you know. Uh, anyway, I'm just wow. like. 
we're we're cool marketers. Uh, the second <laughs> part of their audience is subscribers. So they make money off of average yahoos like you and me either through delivery fees for the folks who don't subscribe or through premium subscription fees. Now, the issue with people like you and me, though, is that while grocery stores are recession-proof, subscription-based businesses aren't. So even though like, I never want to set foot in a grocery store again and I act like grocery stores murdered my father, uh, my convenience has like a price window, right? And I'm limited to what the platform or the retailer or the shopper can provide. So I'm definitely like augmenting my deliveries with IRL shopping. I, when I say I am, I send my husband to. Um, so there's a <laughs> limit to the volume of times that, that I'm shopping on Instacart, right? So this is where they're hoping to make money on subscription fees. Because if I can't order multiple times, they get to pocket all that money, right? They, they're banking on me ordering less than it would take for it to make financial sense to me. They're, or they're banking on me not breaking even on that. But again, you really can't raise those subscription fees too much. I mean, look at like what we've seen with places like Netflix and Hulu, um, other subscription-based products. Like You can't raise them or the cost-benefit analysis is going to lose people. And it's not inflation-proof. You know, we def- definitely still use Instacart over here, but you can bet your ass that like if one of us lost our jobs, we're hoofing it to Costco for our $5 Mm -hmm. rotisserie chickens, you know? like So I think that that's what makes this ads move so interesting because Instacart becomes the product or like it's IP becomes a product. It's intellectual property. And, you know, like it's not the whole like with advertising, you're the product, like fucking calm down, you Aldous Huxley looking ass. It's like, it's more that like the ad platform is like the super cool hangout spot and brands are paying a fee to enter and to try to talk to you. So it's less like human trafficking and more like, I don't know, like ladies night at a bar, right? Like <laughs> the dudes, no, like, like uh, run with me here. Okay. Like I'm the probably, dudes, I'm, yeah, yeah. the dudes might be skeevy, right? They may even be dangerous, but they only get to pay to be in the same room as you. And I mean, like, inevitably interrupt your conversation and neg you or try to buy you a drink, even though you already have one or something like that. You know, that's, that might be as far as I'm taking the metaphor. Um, Instacart now is a DSP or uh, for those of you not in advertising, it's a demand side platform. So it's like a meta or a Google. It's the platform that has the audience. The platform exists. It amassed all these subscribers and now it has the audience and it's selling the ability to talk to that audience to brands or advertisers. So you pay those brands or advertisers will pay to place ads on that platform. So two things about this. First, it gives them a new audience to do business with. And that audience is now brands as advertisers. Uh, The CPG brands have way more money than grocery stores most often. And they can and they will pay whatever they need to get in front of captive buyers, right? So you know what? I will bring back our metaphor. Oh, yes. Yes. Retailers are like, like the grocery stores, the retailers are the guys who are trying to stretch their check till payday. So they're like, like they get in like before the ladies night, like tickets get sold, right? They got to the bar, they're doing happy hour maybe. And then buyers, the audience that, that brands want to pay for buyers, we're the folks who like got into ladies night for free. And like, now we have this cash to spend on 
like fancy cocktails, right? Brands are the ones that they, they've got the deep pockets. Like these bros, they just got paid. Maybe, I don't know. They got like a check from their grandma this week for their birthday. They like slick back their hair. They have on their Ooh. nicest short sleeve button down with like skulls or flames on it. And they oh. are here to pay the entry fee and for their own drinks all night and the drinks of their prospects all in hopes of a conversion. <laughs> oh my God. Worst Hot and also the best. <laughs> the worst and best metaphor that I've ever had. Uh, so now Instacart gets those ad dollars to push their ads to the audience that a brand is trying to reach, which honestly I think is better for brands too. Uh, when you consider how terrible targeting has gotten on Meta and how trying to advertise to an audience that matters on like Twitter or X is like going on a promising first date and then finding out that the dude like narrates his every thought and move like he's a character in a role-playing game. Like <laughs> I think that it's a net positive for brands to have more playgrounds to play in. You know, will the other platforms like it? No, but it's obviously the ideal choice for brands that are either not direct to consumer at all or who are direct to consumer, but still have a retail presence. It's really no different than like sponsored Amazon product content, right? So interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really like caught up in the metaphor. Like it was all, like, <laughs> it was all like really good. That was really well done. It was creative. It was yeah. informative. And like all that came out of my mouth was like, interesting. I also like kind of regret the D word joke I made. That's also was in my head when I said, Hopping oh, back sure. on the D. Sure, sure. Yeah, understood. So, anyways, anyways, shall we wrap it up? Shall we give we our shall. action items to, to the people? It's what they want. Truly. I mean, I feel like I like I was thinking about action items for this and like I don't personally feel like for consumers there's anything to worry about with the Instacart ads except like maybe the price of the product if you're trying to be mindful of your budget, but know that you'll get that sweet, sweet, good orange juice, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, sweet, sweet, good, fresh squeeze. But I know that like for media buyers, for CPG brands, if you're not using Instacart as a DSP, it might be time to add it to your tool belt, um, especially for the the new year yeah and i mean i think also it's a it's a lesson for gig economy folks right like sure. i wonder if we're going to be seeing more of this um more of these kind of platforms opening themselves up to advertising and i mean consumers are affected by that as well we're already constantly getting messages from everywhere and it might be popping up on your uber eats and your door dashes. Who knows? I think everyone's going to be watching Instacart is what I think. Yeah, I think that, you know, Uber and, and those, they already sort of have the ability for like restaurants to to run sponsored ads and things like that. Mm, That's why, you know, you see your your sponsored or the, the green metal or whatever it is that they get. Um, but also it'll be interesting... I think to see not 
I, w- I will be very interested to see how this influences other others of those gig economy places, like you've said, and or how it impacts Amazon. Like, because for a while, Instacart's only real competition was Amazon's Whole Foods delivery that they did, right? So, like, on some level, I'll be interested to see what that looks like from a competitive space. I think also um, for, you know, our, our average... Joe's out there using Joe as a gender neutral name. Um, <laughs> tip your drivers. Yeah. Like tip, tip your gig economy folks. Like it's uh, the way that I, I see it. I feel like when people don't tip and they stand behind it, when they don't tip their, their drivers, whether it's like drivers on a ride share or on a food delivery thing, I feel like it's the new, like, well, I can't afford to, and I'm going to respond the same way I'd respond in a restaurant. Like, if you can't afford to tip your server, you can't afford to eat out. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a a part of the cost of doing business, and, like, this is how we take care of each other. If you can't afford the convenience of somebody going and getting food for you, and I understand, again, you know, as a, a disabled person, like, this is not always about convenience, right? Um, but also like these are costs that get incurred that are incurred and you have to like you have to I'm making you tip your people yeah I love the way you phrase that like a mutual aid and also you know what if you see companies or restaurants I mean I, I see this with restaurants often that I will continue to frequent places where I see pooled tips and or um that like there's no tipping, but they make it extra explicit that everyone's paid a livable wage where they're at or whatever. Like that's another way that you can take care of people and support businesses who are taking care of their people too. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, just where you can choose companies that are, that are doing better. Like if you've got Revel, use that, right. It's, you know, as far as cars go, it's an environmentally friendly option as an electric vehicle. It is uh, a company that's paying its people and offering them benefits. Um, and so it's a, it's a bit of a step up if you can. All right. Well, well that does it. Oh, were you going to say that this? does it? Please, yeah. please do. Well, that's our episode for today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Target Snark It. Make sure to like today's episode and click subscribe so you can be the first to know when our new episodes are live. If you like our antics, want to complain about today's episode, actually, if you want to complain, do that in your diary. Otherwise, if you like things <laughs> um, you and you want to share stuff, you should go to YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn, where you can follow us at Target Snarket for more content. Um, I think that's it. And Kaylee's not here. Who's going to K? Bye. Bye. Oh, what did I? I forgot the K. K, bye. <laughs> <laughs>
You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 